Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. Hi everyone, Pastor Jeff Woodward here from Metro Church with another one of our amazing My Story Nights. And I love these sessions. I think they're so inspiring. I think they're incredibly encouraging. I don't know about you, but when I hear about what God has done for someone else, somehow or other it encourages my life that maybe God will do something like that for me as well. And I'll introduce my guest to you in just a moment, but thank you for joining us. And uh, thank you for being a part of Metro Church Online and all of the ways that we seek to really help you to become a part of the Metro Church community, the Metro Church family. Uh, To us, you're not a viewer. To us, you're not someone who just sits there online, but we want to keep on making sure that you feel like you're a part of uh, this church and its vision about what God is doing. So make sure you're praying about maybe those things that we talk about for vision. You might be asking yourself, how can I be involved with that when it comes to the Kimberley, the Northern Night of Prayer that's coming up next week? How could I be a part of that? What could I do to make sure that I'm not just a spectator of the things of God, but I'm a part of them? And we'd love to hear from you. That's a big part, of course, of being part of a community, part of a family. But another part of being a family and part of a community is our giving. You know, when my children were little, I really started training them, though very young, uh, to be a helper. Every single one of them. Now with my grandchildren, do you want to help granddad? because I want them to understand that life's not about what I get. Life is actually about what I give. And so we had our kids with pocket money and with all that kind of stuff. But not just that, we didn't want them just to be feeling like they got paid for a job. We wanted them to become givers. We wanted them to become generous. And so there were some things we just asked them to do and they never got rewarded for that. Well, I believe it's the same in the kingdom of God. We're a part of God's family. And so he wants to train his children to become people of generosity. That's why in every one of these sessions, we always take this moment to honour your giving, to say thank you for what you're sowing into the kingdom of God. Thank you for the part that you play and the load that you carry in helping every single one of us, every department. See, I don't serve down in hope. I don't chop up the veggies. I don't say hello to someone who's needy or homeless necessarily in that space. But, you know, my giving is a part of helping that to take place. And so that's why I also always pray over your giving. I believe it's a sacred and and a special seed, and I want to see God enlarge that, multiply it. So let's pray together over our giving, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the enormous privilege and the great joy that we have. We love seeing you at work. We love seeing what you do in the lives of people and the way, Lord, that we can do something so very ordinary and you turn it into something so incredibly special. Father, thank you for the giving, the faithful giving of all of your people. Thank you for those, Lord, who've been sowing week by week, month by month, even year by year. And God, I know they've seen you at work. I know their blessing has been that they have been able to be a part of what you're doing in the earth. So thank you for them. God, I pray your blessing will be upon them, upon their home, upon their life and upon their business in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, you heard an amen there and that's because (laughs) for this, my story, my very special guest today is none other than Pastor David Schaefer. Thank you, David. Thanks for joining us. 
Thank you, Jeff, and thank you for the great leadership that you provide for not just for this church, but I'm way over on the on the east coast, and when I come in online, I just feel like I'm being led brilliantly. Thank well, you. Oh, our pleasure. We had such a fantastic time a couple of weeks back. Now, for us, when this is being aired anyway, a couple of weeks with the deeper, stronger convention, yeah. or as Pastor David uh, David Schaefer <laughs> renamed it. He said it's, it should be called the Deeper, Stronger, Sharper Convention. <laughs> uh, there was a, some pretty strong moments. I, I had such great feedback from people. You know, it was more than what they'd expected and different. It wasn't like what we get used to, the diet. You know, one person said to me, oh, I came expecting something light and entertaining and instead I walked away with great meat. Mm. And your two sessions on the underground streams and then on uh, the second one on the five titles, <laughs> which I'm not even going to try and remember all Hell, the Hell, he's killing me. <laughs> <laughs> but they were brilliant and I really love them. And by the way, if you miss those, of course, they stay up on our YouTube channel, Metro Church WA. So you can search for those either under Pastor David Schaefer or under Deeper Stronger or the date, of course, which was Easter. And uh, thank you so much for that ministry that, David, I know always doesn't come out of just research or Bible reading or even prayer. It comes out of what God's done in your life. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to talk with you about today because you wrote this book, Charge at the Dark. I did. As it's not even your whole life story. So I'm going to take you right back to before this one really begins. Uh, Tell us where were you born? Oh, in a little country town called Grafton oh, wow. on the north coast of New South Wales. Were your parents believers? Were they Christians? No, in those days, um, well, they, they were church attenders, right. but they took turns in taking us. Okay. Mum would take us to church for about four months and then Dad would take us to church for four months, so <laughs> the other one would have a sleep in. So <laughs> was, was church something that spoke to you in when you were little? Not when I was little. Um, the reason why I liked church when I was little because it was a Church of England was because they had half time. Uh-huh. <laughs> Everybody would get up and file forwards and have a little bit to drink and eat. Oh, okay. and, uh, Come I thought this is terrific, half time <laughs> at church because that's what they had at the movies on Saturday afternoon, oh, half time okay. between the, the two things. So did you grow up and do your schooling in Grafton as well? I did and I had a, I'd say one of the first times God ever spoke to me was when a, there was a, a curate who must have been born again. Wow. And he said, you want to come around to my house every after, every Wednesday afternoon? I did for a number of weeks and I didn't know it, but it was leading up to them asking me if I'd like to give my life to Christ. But wow. the, the Sunday before that... How old were you then? Uh, I reckon I might have been 16 or wow. something like that, 17 maybe. And I remember because at the end of every Anglican church service... Yeah, they had the little fold-down kneeling pads, and so uh, you, you never knew what to pray because you weren't born again. Yeah, right. But, but you always went through the motions, and I remember kneeling down, and um, this prayer came up from my boots. I had no idea what I was going to pray, and it said, Lord, I give you my life. Take me and do whatever you want with me. And I was like an observer to that, and wow. then the next Wednesday the curate asked me, would I like to give my life to Christ? I said, oh, I think I did that on Sunday. Wow. But nothing registered. 
it didn't interfere with my social life or my sporting life or my drinking life, um, my surf club days. Or it's interesting like to that. me. One of the things that's come up so often in, in a My Story time together is someone talking about how God worked in their life when they were young. Yeah. And many times they weren't even aware really of the impact of it or what it would mean for their later life. And I find that so incredible because we we can tend to feel a bit like someone coming to Jesus is the result of our demonstration or persuasion. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons I love this story and stories like this so much is because though there were people around about you who were expressing Jesus, but it was actually the work of the Holy Spirit almost independent of all those people around about you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And that was my experience. And it wasn't until when after I'd left Grafton at the age of 18 and gone to Hawkesbury Agricultural College in the western, northwestern area of Sydney and... Um, uh, a pretty girl invited me to a Billy Graham crusade. Huh. Uh, it was at the Sydney Cricket Ground. Wow. So I had two reasons to go. <laughs> pretty girl and, and I, I was a cricket fanatic. Oh, okay. And so to sit on the hallowed grass of the Sydney Cricket Ground was <laughs> just too enticing. The funny things God uses to get us to uh, the points of that we need to be at, yeah. Well, I always believed in God, so it wasn't a challenge yeah, right. to go. But then when he made the appeal, oh, Jeff, I, I honestly could not tell you one word that he preached. I had a pretty girl next to me. Right. <laughs> and when he made the appeal, I felt the power of God. Wow. The, like the anointing that God put on that man and his ministry. Wow. Um, my heart beat so hard, I did not know. I thought it was going to beat out of my chest. Wow. And I'm sitting there thinking, what is happening to me? And so I stood up and I turned around to the girl and I said, well, I'm going forwards. Are you coming? I had no idea why I was going forwards. And she just smiled sweetly and said, oh, no, she said, I went forward on Wednesday night and suddenly I knew I'd been conned. <laughs> <laughs> Caught by God. And, and, but it didn't make any difference. I went forward and it was as if I was looking up into the face of Jesus Christ when I repeated the sinner's prayer. Wow. I mean, fancy writing a prayer just for me because I was a sinner. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So you pray the, the sinner's prayer, the prayer to receive Jesus, and I imagine someone chats with you, gets your details or something, did they? And then... Oh, I couldn't believe what happened. Right. Some little bloke snuck up behind me and he wanted now to counsel me. Right. And suddenly my brain caught up with my heart and I thought, how do I get rid of this little guy? <laughs> so, so I spun him the most magnificent story. I exaggerated everything I'd just experienced. He said, this is so good, we'll have to get it into Billy Graham's magazine. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he took me over to the, 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 the thing. I had to talk them and so I made up this story. You know, I'm just trying to get out of it now. <laughs> and so I went, after that happened, I went back and the, the girl was gone. <laughs> so that was the night I found God and lost the girl. <laughs> you heard it the, first here, folks. But, but, you know, it was amazing because when we, you know, Billy Graham used to say, you come, the buses will wait. Wow. That, that was one of the things he used to yeah. say. 
And uh, when I finally got on a bus to go back to Central Railway Station, the whole bus was singing hymns. Wow. All the way from Sydney Cricket Ground wow. to there. I've never been on another bus ride like that, I can wow. tell you. Yeah. Wow. But it was a challenge, you know, for the first couple of years. I wouldn't have made it if there wasn't a, a man back at Hawkesbury Ag College with a remarkable background. He was brought up in the Bernardo Homes, put his age up to join the Marines, went through the Second World War, was a bodyguard to King George VI, was on the aircraft wow. carrier when the Japanese surrendered to um, Douglas MacArthur. Um, and there he, he, he managed to get to Australia and jump ship as a raging alcoholic. But he was miraculously just wonderfully born again. And just before I went to college, my father had died of a heart attack and his wife and child had run from him. Um, he was violent, but then when he was born again, he went home with love and flowers and chocolates and the wife and, uh, was so uh, confused by this, she ran. So there was a father without a son wow. and here was a son without a father. Talk about a setup. Wow. And that man for the three years of college discipled me, introduced me to the girl who'd become my wife, wow. taught me how to lead people to Christ. We went on beach missions. He made me the two I see of that. <laughs> that was dangerous. But anyway, it was and I, you know, I kind of learned leadership by default really. Wow. You know, I, it just emerged as we went. So what were you studying at Ag College, by the way? Well, there were three courses. There was one just called Agriculture, mm -hmm. and it was so broad. You did about 35 subjects in the first year, and mm -hmm. it was narrowed down to around about, oh, I don't know, eight or nine mm -hmm. in third year. And I, my, my dream was to go into beef cattle. Wow. I love beef cattle, and, um, and I couldn't get into the beef industry, so I went into the dairy industry right. for about... Or was it seven years? Or, wow. Yeah. So you mentioned that you met Marilyn there, became your wife. Um, well, I met her in the youth ministry that oh, okay. my spiritual oh, father right. was running. She came along. I fell in love with the legs. <laughs> <laughs> I know. How does this work? But, you know, we're all young and we all... For everything on my story. We've all got eyes. <laughs> well, part of our youth ministry was... a. Uh, a coffee shop that you used to have to go through a door and downstairs. It was mm. called the Cinnamon Cellar. Oh, okay. Cinnamon. Oh, very snappy, clever. Eh? Yes, you very were right there, you guys. And, and so one day these pair of legs emerged through the door and came down the stairs and I thought, oh, they're all right. <laughs> anyway. You old romantic. Yes. <laughs> oh, no. There's so no... tell me about your early Christian life, David, I'm always fascinated to hear most of us go through pretty similar patterns. We come to Jesus and there's a great sense of the load that's lifted or the awareness of our sin forgiven and all of that. But then there's the character change that always starts to follow. As you preached on Easter Sunday morning, you know, mm -hmm. about the fact that God is going to work on you. You can either be a little fish that hides in the in the you know amongst the reef, or you can be the big fish that becomes the hunter. Yeah. And God wants to turn our life into something great. And so, can you tell us? I mean, some of the things that were like turning points for you in that part of your walk in the, the early, early days. In the early days, yeah. Well, look, 
I've got to say that the most, the initial dramatic turning point was when I realised I had no hope of being saved without him. Wow. I'd been born again for about two years, but that first two years were a bit of a struggle, really. There were times when I'd think, was I hypnotised at the Sydney mm-hmm. Cricket Ground? You know, like, what's happening to me? Is this real? Yeah. And I went through all of the questions and every one of them got answered. And mm. one day, like my spiritual dad's name was Alec, and um, one day Alec related a story about how he was sharing the gospel with another member of the staff at Hawkesbury Ag College. And uh, he said, if you, he was saying to me, repeating to me, that if you read the Sermon on the Mount, you would never be the same. And the, the guy shared that with Pooh but I heard it when he was just telling me the story. Wow. And I was there in his little steward's quarters and I knelt down by the bed and opened his Bible and read Matthews 5, 6 and 7 and got to um, chapter, uh, verse 19 of chapter 5, I think it is, or verse 20, mm-hmm. where it says, unless your righteousness exceeds mm-hmm. that of the Pharisees, mm-hmm. you can by no means enter the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And um, right at that moment, I, the only picture that came to mind was an Anglican priest. Now, that's no aspersion on Anglican priests. So there are many wonderful men of God there. But I thought to myself, I could never give my life to God to that extent. Wow. And I thought, I'm lost. And Alec came back into the room and I said, Alec, I'm lost. This is after two years wow. from the Billy Graham thing. And he sat down and, and helped me become assured of my salvation But that was the foundation and he was the great help. I mean, I used to go to his room every night after he'd make the worst cup of coffee. (laughs) It was it was a plastic cup with it was in the older days there was a tube that you could buy a mixture of coffee and condensed milk. I remember that. Do you remember that? I remember seeing it. I've never tasted it. Squeeze it into the cup, pour the water in, stir it up, and there you are, you're in heaven. And uh, but but we'd I'd study till about nine o'clock at night, and then at nine o'clock we'd go over for a coffee. And every night, how blessed! How uh, I'd, I wonder if anybody has ever experienced wow. a discipleship program like this because it was all relational. It wasn't mm. a set program, and um, we just kicked around the things of God for approximately two and a half years. Mm. Most nights, from Monday to Friday, every night. Wow. Like incredible. So I've been well-fathered, greatly loved, and with a rock-solid foundation that I was totally unable to save myself. Wow. So that was the foundation. And then beyond that, you know, he, he led a youth movement. I always laugh at the name now, but it was a very, very catchy name <laughs> for, for those days. It was called... Gospel Crusaders. Crusaders. <laughs> and, uh, I'm not sure it'll work today. No. Uh, I always love hearing those kinds of stories, though, because I think back to my own early days of following Jesus and, and the people that were there for help. When I got, when I first gave my life to Christ, I remember I met this girl behind the counter. She was never my girlfriend but or anything like that, but she was behind the counter at a Christian bookshop. And I phoned her every day with all the questions I had. Oh. Well, how do I pray? Yeah. What do I think about when I'm praying? What do I picture? Because for me, it was all new territory and I didn't know how to do it well. 
That's one of the reasons why with our yes text, we so encourage people to um, give us their yes because then we'll send you a Bible study, or a, a Bible verse every day and a prayer. Yeah. And the reason we send the prayer is because we know for most of us, prayer isn't something that you just know how to do. You know, it's a bit different. I know how to have a conversation with you, but how do I have a conversation with someone I can't see? Yeah. So uh, I think the importance of having somebody who walks with you and works with you, uh, church is all about that. That's one of the reasons why we built a cafe uh, is because we know that the service doesn't end with the final song. The service continues around fellowship and around hanging out together and those kind of conversations totally. that grow us. They're not just about, you know, what did you think of the footy score on the weekend? Yeah. You know, there's a lot more to it than that. But so when you first, I want to jump well, forward. Well, well, just before you go, mm-hmm. just to agree with what you're doing, I felt like I was discipled the same way Jesus' disciples mm-hmm. were discipled. You can build anything on a strong foundation. Yeah, right. And, um, and so he led us to beach missions and, I mean, I, I wonder how many people are disciples of Christ mm. and have never led anybody to Jesus. Mm. And I wonder whether or not that's a major hindrance to their right. growth because he led us onto the beaches and into parks and mm. into cities and the Bathurst 500 where, you know, we, we had open-air meetings with drunk people <laughs> after a day of drinking at the racetrack. It was just on for young and old. But we got blooded. In, you know, we, we were full-blooded disciples and followers of Jesus by the time I'd finished college. Wow. Let me jump forward to where yeah. the book uh, kind of picks <laughs> up, which is that you obviously at some point or other have felt called by God to pastor a church. Yeah. And are you married at this point? Is that where... Or did the call start after you got married, before, that that sense of awareness of that? Do you know, for me, it really wasn't like a clarion call. Right. You will be a pastor of a church. Mm. I never wanted to be a pastor of a church. My mother had instilled this into me years before when she said, oh, darling, she said, (laughs) never become a, a church, you know, churchman. They're such paupers. She used to say. <laughs> so I was kind of steering clear of all of this. And, of course, then as, as time would have it, we were baptised in the Holy Spirit and we gave ourselves to God. And he wasn't concerned at all about what my mother had told me. <laughs> so how did that awareness, though, because was the you first passed it in Perfleet. Is that right? Yeah, but, but we, there was a sovereign gathering of people uh, we we uh, left a uniting church, and I don't advocate leaving churches, mm. but this was God. And there were 18 of us and initially six churches and then more from wow. those plantings occurred. It was like a, the birthplace of mm. what was called then Christian Outreach Centre in New South Wales. Wow. But uh, there was a guy there who was just, a, he owned a bulldozer and he was a bulldozer. Uh-huh. So you'd go and knock on his door and we'd have a cup of tea and then he'd say, let's pray. Well, th- three hours later, you know, <laughs> you'd, you'd learned how to 
speak in tongues and have words of knowledge and see visions and, you know, it was all, initially it was all a bit, you know, some of it was right and some of it was really loopy. (laughs) (laughs) But but your heart keeps you, you know. Yeah, yeah. Your heart keeps you and those, those initial days before I went over to Perfleet, it was a gradual emerging as a leader. Mm. I think when you've got a gift of leadership, you tend to go to that place anyway. Mm. You, you be, there's something you instinctively and intuitively believe about mm. yourself. Mm. Like I, I started a little group called the, <laughs> I always laugh about this, it's the famous Billy T. Bush band with the <laughs> distinctive flavour. I know. I know. I was going to call You've it. You've come up with some great names for things. Well, it me? was it was the it was the the label on yeah, the the, the tea chest. Yeah, yeah. And I was going to call it the Forty Days and Nights Wilderness Experience Jug Band, but it was too long. <laughs> <laughs> How funny is that? So, um, and and so I immediately thought, well, let's go all over this area, well. Foster Tun Curry, Tari, anywhere we can burn, and let's sing on the streets, but let's try and put something there of real quality out there. We had people everywhere. You know, we'd go New Year's Eve. So was this a evangelism? Were you doing this for to proclaim the gospel or is this yeah. just? Oh. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, but, I wasn't sure whether it was just like a bush band and you were. No, 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 no. I wanted to call it something that didn't sound like a Christian band. Ah, okay. <laughs> but I, I wanted us to be laser-focused about <laughs> about winning people to Christ. That's great. <laughs> you know what I love about a lot of your well, stories? Yeah, I could have called it the Fisher Folk. <laughs> that was already taken? I know. <laughs> but I, one of the things I love about your story and in this book is, and I've seen this so often, where God's not waiting for the perfect to turn up or he's not waiting for you to get perfect, some of the stuff we've done and you've done, you go, you look back now and you go, how on earth did God turn that into anything useful? But somehow or other, like you said before, if you've got the right heart, a misstep here or there, he can still turn and use it. Yeah. But the one thing he can't use is the person who won't go. It's true. You know, Jesus never said, you know, stay home. And I'll do it all. He said, you go into all the world. I preached only recently about the fact that, we, you know, when God says, I'm coming to save them all, what he really means is, I'm sending you to save them all. (laughs) So he says to Moses, he says, I have come down to deliver them. Now you go. And we go, hold a second here. I thought you'd come down to deliver me. What what am I doing? He goes, no, 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 you don't understand. My plan is for you to do this. And you have a great quote in the book here. Um where you're talking to a young man and you say this to him, everyone's meant to find their purpose for being alive on God's earth, I replied. When you do, you are meant to charge at your giants and conquer them so that others can find God and discover their purpose too. Yeah. And what a great quote in a nutshell of what happens in a believer's life. You come to Christ going, I have no idea what I could do. You go through that thing of going, I'm really not good enough, which is what you were talking about, the thing of being lost and unless my righteousness exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. And I've been there and I think every Christian gets to that point. We get saved by the mighty grace of God. Then we start thinking it's up to us to be good enough and that we have to encounter, no, this is the way it really works is Jesus saves. And then we start making ourselves available to God 
and for God to use us. And we start discovering how much he does with a very little. And, and we discovered that at Perfleet. You mentioned Perfleet, a, mm. a little Indigenous community on the outskirts of Taree. And um, one of the memories from that, because it's a mystery, you know, you, you're going, yeah. but you're stepping into his plan, wow. which he hasn't announced to you. Yeah, right. And, and the, <laughs> you know, we only had two things in common, really. I love them and they love me. Yeah, right. And Marilyn. Yeah, right. You know, we'd go over every, every Wednesday and Sunday from Gloucester, about 40-minute, 45-minute drive. And uh, one day I turned up on Wednesday night and they said, close your eyes, Brother Dave, close your eyes. So they led me up the steps into a house. Open your eyes, they said. And here was uh, a really heavy old Presbyterian pulpit that they'd rescued from what they called Tarjay, which was a city dump. <laughs> and they'd, they'd, it was gleaming. They, and so they, they said, I said, well, come on. Let's road test it. So out we went onto the side of the road. But when we went to pick it up, I thought, what's all this gluggy stuff under my fingers? They'd polished it with brown boot polish. (laughs) (laughs) I loved it. I loved it and I loved them. So we were out on the side of the road and we starting to preach and sing and whatever. And it was a debauched community, I have to say. You know, most people were drunk by about five o'clock in the afternoon. And um, this was... Oh, about seven o'clock. And we must have really annoyed the guy next door because he came out with a carving knife. I'm going to kill you bleepity bleep Christians. I hate bleepity bleep, you know, like, and, and I love being in environments like that. To me, that's what we were born for. <laughs> you know, the, the ship was born for... Hey, it is called charge at the dark, <laughs> not, not hide in the dark. <laughs> not hide in the church. <laughs> anyway... I'm going to kill you. And so there he is wobbling his way to Ford's as drunk as a skunk with his carving knife up. And I said to them, a moment of madness, uh, audacious madness captured me. And I said, watch this. And I started to go, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the blood. And we got within about three yards or, or, you know, a couple of steps from us. And suddenly he dropped the knife, fell to his knees and started <laughs> repenting of his sin. <laughs> Got totally saved. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> well, you build your life on things like that. Do you? You do, you do. Yeah. I would think, you know, the Bible says three times or four times, the just shall live by faith. Yeah. And I've often said, you'll either live by faith by choice or you'll live by faith by force. Right. You know, you'll either choose, that's the life I'm going to live, or else circumstances and life will happen, as you talked about on yeah. Easter Sunday morning. Things will happen that you're going to have to navigate through, and you'll learn to live by faith anyway. Yeah. And I think another name for living by faith is living by the seat of your pants in the sense of hold on because here we go. Yeah, yeah. It really is a charge at the dark. Yeah. And that's the same for everyone. I don't think... We obviously know not everyone's called to confront someone with a carving knife and declare the blood. <laughs> uh, but every single one of us, no matter who we are, are going to have spaces where faith will be more than a doctrine and more than just a couple of nice Bible verses that we've stuck up on a plaque somewhere or other. Yeah. They're going to have to become the weapon. You know, like the Bible says, and take up the sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith. Uh, you know, they're meant to be... Uh, implements of use in our life 
not something that resides in our head and occasionally comes out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And talk to us for a minute about your experience of growing in faith, what that means. Well, can I say that charging at the dark, it's not just a matter of charging. It's being led by God as you charge. And you know what I feel very strongly to say? That when, when we went out, certainly when I went out and when people around me went out kind of say that this is the adventure, the world mm. awaits us. Um, we didn't go out to uh, build a church. Like today, people say, oh, I've been given a church. This is my ministry to pastor a church. No, no, no. We were given cities mm, and wow. valleys and regions. Wow. Wow. And the church just became the vehicle mm. as it grew mm. that you reached your harvest field with. Wow. And so it, it appealed to me that the church, of all the things it is, the bride, the body, the family, but, but it's an army. She's an army as wow. well. Wow. And, and she's meant to be mobilised and she's meant to be outward looking. Wow. And uh, that, was, that was just one of, as God led us, as we charged, God directed Most where we went. Though Paul writes to Timothy, who's a young uh, leader, fairly new in what he's doing. And he says to him in 2 Timothy 1.7, he said, God has not given us a spirit of fear is what the King James Bible says, mm. but the Greek word's timidity. And I often think about that and go, <clears throat> I think I've felt scared to step out for God more times than I can honestly remember. You know, whether it's a word of knowledge or whether it's speaking to someone about Jesus, whether it's even offering to pray for someone not knowing whether they'll accept it or not. Mm. You know, that whole thing of, well, you know, choosing the safe over the sacred, I think is something that we all feel in common. How did you, I mean, is it just your personality, David? You're pretty bold anyway. Is it that or how did you get across that gap of, but what if it doesn't work? Or what if they don't want me? Or what if they reject? How did you get through that? You know, to be honest, I can never, ever remember thinking, um, what if this doesn't work? Wow. I can only ever remember thinking, how is this going to work? Wow. Not knowing, but how it would. Wow. Like, for example, when Marilyn and I, and we had uh, two kids by now, going to have the third one in Port Macquarie, and Port Macquarie had housing three times the cost of the little country town of Gloucester. And out of gratitude to God, when we first were born again, one day I looked at our finances and we were giving, this is before I knew anything about tithing, I was giving 60% of our income away wow. just out of gratitude. I mean, we'd hit the jackpot, Jeff, when we got born again. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> this was the greatest thing in the universe, yeah. but, you know, being connected to the creator of it. And so when we had to go over to um, Port Macquarie, the question was, well, how, how is this possible? Mm. And we, we gathered up all the money we had, which wasn't a great deal, obviously. Yeah, right. <laughs> and um, one day I was in, I was, you had to drive through Taree to get to Port Macquarie and all the other bank managers wouldn't give me a loan to buy a house because they asked me how much was in my bank account when I told them there was $6.40. <laughs> 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 and then when they asked how much I was earning and I told them, well, I'm resigning from a job, they just laughed me out through the front door. <laughs> and I thought, 
unbelievers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I told them what I was going to do, that God was going to help me. <laughs> what was the matter? <laughs> what was the matter with these people? Anyway, I stopped at a St George bank in Taree, and the guy said, I'm interested. He said, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to build a church. He said, how many are in it? I said, oh, none, just yet. <laughs> he said, how much income have you got? I said, well, there's nobody there to tithe and give. I said, we haven't, but I said, God's going to build the church and he's going to look after us and we're ready to go. I said, you can be part of that if you'd like. <laughs> you know what? He leant back in his chair and he looked at me and then he said the craziest thing. I don't think a bank manager has ever said this. I said, he said, how much were you earning? I, and I told him the amount. He said, I tell you what, what about we give you a loan based on the, the salary you've just given away? <laughs> How does that work? <laughs> and, he, and we got the loan and we never missed a payment. So it was all, wow. you know, it's the adventure. Really it is. Yeah, and yeah. faith's got that in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, nobody's, nobody's great at faith. This, this book was written in hindsight, yeah. not in foresight. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> wow. You look back and you say, did I really do that? Oh, yeah. Did I really say that? Do you, yeah. you know, you've been there. I said to Rhonda a couple of times, you know, I feel like I've lived several lifetimes, but not in any, you know, weird sense, but just in, you look back and you go, Wow, you know, there's so much has happened. Yeah. But again, David, I love the fact, I love that you said earlier, I didn't have some great clarion call. No. There wasn't a moment where the angel appeared or, you know, some great thing happened. It's just, because I think it's the adventure for every Christian. I really do. I think it's a sad Christian life that lives its entire existence in the shallows and never gets out. I said this in, in one of the pre-service gatherings we have over the Easter time, and, you know, I'd never thought about it until it came out of my mouth. You know, I'd been thinking about Luke 5, launch out into the deep. And you you were there, I think, when I said this, but yeah, I also, I I'd never thought about it until it came out of my mouth. <clears throat> that, And then Psalm 42, you know, deep calls under deep, and I said... I wonder if one of the reasons God loves the deep so much is because it gets us out of our comfort zone and out of the place where we're in control. Yeah. So launch out into the deep. He could have brought the fish into the shallows where they were. If he can make fish be on one side of the boat and not the other, yeah. I'm pretty sure he could have moved them to the shallows. But he wanted them to get out of the place of their comfort. And I think... I pray that every Christian, not every Christian is going to preach, not every Christian is meant to preach on a pulpit or be on a platform or yeah, yeah. do any of that stuff. Sure. However, I believe every Christian is called to live a life of faith. Totally. I believe every Christian is called to live generously, to live bigger than what circumstances or their past would say is possible. Your mum who says to you, don't ever become a pastor. Don't ever become a minister. You'll just end up a pauper. And here you are, however many years or decades it is later, yeah. having lived that life. So blessed. And go, thank God mum was wrong, <laughs> which I think should be the title of your next book, Thank God Mum Was Wrong. <laughs> it's a thought, isn't it? <laughs> but you know what I mean? I'm, I'm just, I'm, I want everyone to go, Okay, here am I. Maybe you're retired now, or maybe you're just at uni now. 
and you're starting out or maybe you're in the middle of a very busy business life. And I think every Christian wants to say, okay, Holy Spirit, what would you want me to do? What will require faith of me? Because I think too many of us wait for a problem, a sickness, a diagnosis, uh, a financial crisis or something, and we reserve faith. It's kind of like the in case of fire break glass. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so we have faith sitting there, and, well, I don't have any problems, so I don't need it yet. And I go, that makes faith only a defensive <clears throat> implement rather than right what it's meant to be, which is here I am, I'm going to live for God. Okay, God, how do I step out of my boat? Yeah. You know what I mean? Totally. Totally. Yeah. I think the most audacious prayer anyone can ever pray, and I think it's the prayer God loves the most, is the one that you prayed in the Anglican Church kneeling on that altar rail. Right. Tell everyone what it was again. Uh, Lord, take my life and do with it what you want. Say that again because that that's the goal, I think, right there. Take my life and do with it what you want. Wow. I might add, I didn't pray that. Mm. That was coming from someplace deep within, authored mm. by him, but it was the exact thing that I began to live out yeah. all, you know, through the next, yeah. well, 50 years. You know, look, <laughs> seriously, <laughs> Uh, as is, always happens with these things, I don't think we've gone anywhere we planned. <laughs> and I certainly haven't gone anywhere that covers all the stuff in this book, which, you know, uh, Vicki Simpson said to me the other day, she said that I read that book in one sitting. She said it's the most inspiring book I've ever read. Really? Yeah. And I know that for so many people, a book like this is one that you want to read and keep or else buy a, a couple of copies to give away to somebody, you know, because it's their real stories about someone's real life of following God. And, of course, there's no amen at the end because you're not finished. You've got much more to go yet. Yeah. So that's why I think your next volume should be called Thank God Mum Was Wrong. Uh, what God can do with a life that's not perfect. We talk about surrender to God as though it's a mystical place of somehow or other I surrender to God and all of a sudden all my problems disappear and my will somehow or other gets transcended. And I go, well, it's actually mostly not like that at all. Yeah. Mostly I say to God, God, I'm ready, I'm available for whatever it is that you want in my life. Yeah. And then I start just walking it out with him. Yeah. Um, so we haven't done all that. A couple <laughs> of things I want to ask you, David. One is how do people get a hold of this book if they – what I'm, I'm, this is not a book promotion segment, but I just want everyone to read the rest of the story um, because I just think it's, you know, we've covered tiny slice. Well, I did write it to inspire the next generation for well, sure. You know, I haven't just written it because I think I can write a book. Yeah, sure. Um, they can find it at my website, David Schaefer, all one word. Schaefer is S-C-H-A-E-F-F-E-R. Correct. It'll be up there on the screen for you. Right, .com.au, mm -hmm. and there'll be a, a bookshop in the on the website. For those who want to read it digitally as well on their Kindle or other device, they can get that also digitally, can't they? They can yeah. through, uh, and look, all you've got to do is put the name of the book, browse the name of the book, it'll come up with the different right. sellers. Can I ask you if you would to pray for everyone that's a part of this My Story? You know, there'll be lots of people who are, you know, like standing on the edge of the diving board. Will I, won't I? 
will I leap? Won't I leap? You know what I mean? I'd love you to pray for them and for all of us that we'll all, all of us, because I don't find that you ever get to the point where faith becomes easy or faith becomes comfortable. You might have all this stuff in your in your past, but you still got to live out your present and the future that's to come. It's really filled with celebrations of relief to know that God caught you when you stepped out <laughs> at the end. <laughs> Would you pray that I want to talk to people about following Jesus? Totally. Great. Oh, Jesus, I pray right now that you would grace people to take the leap. Mm. Um, Lord God, that this, com- this, this force, this power called compelling faith would be stirred so strongly within people's spirits and souls, so strongly that it would cause them to lift their eyes and see uh, the future and the adventure and the harvest that you have prepared for them. Lord God, that your power would reside and rest and stir with a, a, a turmoil, if necessary, into people where they just cannot live with themselves unless they step out by faith into the, the adventures that you have for them. And Father, I pray this in Jesus, your powerful and wonderful and mighty name. Amen. 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 Thank you, David. Thank you for sharing your story. That's a lot of fun. As well, I love the humour that's in it because the adventure's not all serious and intense. There's a lot of, particularly <laughs> you look back at someone and go, that was just, that was funny. That was yeah. nuts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can I just talk to you for a minute though because some of you that are a part of this, my story, you know, you're going to be saying to yourself, well, I feel like someone looking in. I'm like someone who's looking in through the shop at something that is still far away from me. How do I encounter God? Uh, you know, what do I do? And David's told you the story of not being someone who knew a whole lot of the Bible verses and how to do this or that. He was simply somebody who allowed the cry of his heart to come to the surface so that he got to that point where he said, Lord, I'm going to surrender to you. I'm going to let you start to lead my life as imperfectly as he walked it out for the next couple of years, as you've told us. Yeah. But you've got to start, haven't you? Got to start. You've got to start. And uh, the start, I believe, is when I give my yes to Jesus. And just like David had Alec to walk with him, we want to walk with you when you give your yes to Jesus. I'll lead you in a prayer in a moment that you can make yours. Then I'd love you to give us your yes. It's coming up for you on the screen right now. The phone number, if you're in Australia, is 0488 826 392. But you text to that. And if you're outside of Australia or you'd rather get our daily help via email, it's yes.metrochurch.org.au. And when you do that, we will send you the next morning that Bible verse and that prayer. It fits on one screen of the smartphone. We'll send that to you. And then from that point on, it'll be every day for 30 days. After that, there's other topics and other help that you can have. All of it's completely free. We'll never spam you. We'll never write and ask you for anything. It comes just with our prayer for you that God will start to lead you and build the life that he has planned for you. So let me lead you, if you will, in this prayer, simply saying to Jesus, I want to give you my life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I recognise that I need you. I want you in my life. 
And so I'm opening the door of my heart to you right now and saying, please come into my life and save me today. Jesus, lead me from this day on. I'm going to follow you to the best of my ability. Thank you, Jesus, for your forgiveness, for your peace, and for your joy. Amen. 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 Now, if you prayed that prayer, text through your yes. Doesn't matter what time of the day it is or what hour of the night. We would love to hear from you and we'll be praying for you. David, again, thank you so much for uh, sharing your my story. Now, stay tuned, everyone, because a couple of weeks from now, we're going to be airing one of our grow sessions with uh, Pastor David Schaefer on enduring contradiction because this man has endured some massive contradictions in life. <laughs> and I'm going to be letting him teach us how to do that. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Just remember, you're always welcome here at Metro at any service. God bless you.